0: Welcome to Hymology on the Gospel Radio Network, a program sponsored by the Mars Hill Church of Christ, located at 1135 Rucker Road, Christiana, Tennessee, 37037. You may contact us by phone at 615-203-3637. If you would like more information about our congregation or this program, you may visit our website at www.marshillcoc.org. We invite you to join us every Tuesday morning at 11 a.m. right here on TGRN.org. And now, here is your host, Brother Kyle Webb.
1: Welcome to Homology. My name is Kyle Webb. I serve as the minister for the Mars Hill Church of Christ that meets in Christiana, Tennessee, I'm happy that you joined our program for today. Today's hymn of discussion is When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. I've tried to do some different songs, and the last one that we looked at was an invitation song. This is one that we use most often for the Lord's Supper, and for very good reason. Although it can be used in different ways, I've also used this as an invitation song before. Uh, this is a song that I have sung from my youth up, and you probably have too. But as we look at when I surveyed the Wondrous Cross, as we begin with our hymn history, we begin looking at the author of the song, the one who wrote the words to it, Isaac Watts. Isaac Watts was born in Southampton, England, July 17th of 1674, and he died in Stoke, Newington, England, November 25, 1748. His parents were dissenters, and his father was twice imprisoned for it. His father was a minister. Watts was the eldest of nine children. He was educated in the grammar school in Southampton, where he learned Greek Latin, and Hebrew. A local physician offered to send him to Oxford or Cambridge with the stipulation that he become a minister in the Church of England. He, however, declined. In 1690, he began studying under a Mr. Thomas Rowe at the Nonconformist Academy in Stoke Newington but he left the academy in 1694. At this time, he went home and concentrated on his writing. In 1702, Watts became minister of the Independent Congregation in Mark Lane. During this time, he wrote his hymns and spiritual songs, somewhere about 1707 to 1709. As we look back in his history at the beginning of his writing hymns, we see that he began writing at the age of 15, particularly after a complaint to his father. And this is what he said. The singing of God's praise is the part of worship nighest heaven, and its performance among us is the worst on earth. To which his father challenged him to personally write something better. And he did. Other hymn contributions include At the Cross, at least the the verses to that song. Am I a soldier of the cross? We are marching to Zion. How shall the young secure their hearts? I'm not ashamed to own my Lord. Joy to the world, O God, our help in ages past, and, of course, when I survey the wondrous cross. He is the writer of over 600 hymns and songs. Of his ambition in hymn writing, he once said, It was not my design to exalt myself to the rank of glory of poets. But I wanted to be a servant of the churches and a helper to the joy of the meanest Christian. Of course, the the meaning of words changes over time. And that word meanest uh, does not necessarily refer to mean Christians, but the average Christian. He wanted to be a helper to the joy of the average Christian. And certainly he was. But as we look uh, again at this song in particularly, we see that the music is arranged by Lowell Mason. Lowell Mason was born in Medfield, Massachusetts, January 8, 1792, and he died in Orange, New Jersey, August 11, 1872. His musical education, both vocal and instrumental, came from local citizens and he began leading the choir in the village church and teaching singing schools by the age of 16. At age 20, he went to Savannah, Georgia, where he began working as a bank clerk from 1812 to 1827. While in Georgia, he studied music under Frederick L. Abel, a German musician, and also served as organist for the Independent Presbyterian Church. In 1827, he returned to Boston, continuing his quest to improve church music of the day, becoming president of Handel and Hayden Society. He married Abigail Adams of Westboro, Massachusetts in 1818. Mason traveled to Europe and studied with Johann George Nageli, collecting material from Nageli and others, He used them as the bases for his tunes and harmonies. And you'll find that many of the tunes that that he wrote have a a very unique tune, a a very uh, different style than what we are used to today, especially. His hymn contributions are many. They include the music for A Charge to Keep I Have, Blessed Be the Tide, God is the fountain whence, hungry and faint and poor. I love thy kingdom, Lord. Lord, we come before thee now. My faith looks up to thee, nearer my God to thee. Praise the Lord. There is a fountain. Work for the night is coming. and I'm not ashamed to own my Lord. Joy to the world, and when I survey the wondrous cross... Those three he wrote were the words written by Watts. When I surveyed the wondrous cross, is set to the tune officially named Hamburg, also known as Psalm Tone Mode 1. It was first published in 1824 in Handel and Hayden's Society Collection of Music, 3rd edition. And my sources for this information, Hymns of Faith and Inspiration by Pamela J. Kennedy, published in 1990 by Ideal Publications in Nashville, Tennessee. Also, Hymns and History by Forrest M. McCann, one of my favorite uh, things to go to as far as hymns are concerned. It was published in 1997 by ACU Press in Abilene, Texas and the websites that I like to look at often hymnstudiesblog.wordpress.com and hymnary.org but let's turn our attention to the hymn itself let's look at the the context and meaning of this song first of all it was a controversial hymn back in the time of its writing because of its placement of its author at the cross of Jesus at the time of his crucifixion. We think nothing of it because we have sung this so often today, but back then it was a very big deal uh, and there was controversy regarding this song. The song suggests that it is through the cross of Christ that we become consecrated to God. Let's turn our attention to the lyrics. Let's begin with stanza one. When I survey the wondrous cross, when I look upon the wondrous cross on which the prince of glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. Of course, it is not with the, the naked physical eye that we are able to look upon the cross, but we have to do this mentally, spiritually, And in that light, let's read together John 19, beginning with verse 17. This from the New King James Version. And he, bearing his cross, went out to a place called the Place of a Skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side, and Jesus in the center. Now Pilate wrote a title, and put it on the cross, and the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Then many of the Jews read this title, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Therefore the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to each soldier a part, and also the tunic. Now the tunic was without seam. Woven from the top in one piece. And they said, therefore, among themselves, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it. Whose shall it be that the scripture might be fulfilled, which says they divided my garments among them? And for my clothing they cast lots. Therefore the soldiers did these things. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour that disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, He gave up his spirit. The significance of the cross for us is that it is the instrument used to purchase our pardon from our sins. Romans 5, verses 6 through 9. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Such a magnificent sacrifice leads us to count our richest gain but loss for Christ. An attitude that is expressed by Paul, in his writings to the Philippians, chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all these things, raw things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. to the resurrection from the dead. My richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride, a contrast between humility and pride. Pride can get us into a great deal of trouble, but humility is the attitude that is desired by God. Stanza 2. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my Lord. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. Aside from Christ's sacrifice for us, we truly have nothing to boast of. There's nothing that... I can look at myself and say that I did for myself in regard to my salvation. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. It is not because of anything we have done that we are saved nothing that I I have done for myself, but it is by God's grace. It is not of works, not of works of merit, that is, but it is through works of obedience. There are certain things that we must do in service to God. We must obey the gospel in the way that is prescribed in Scripture. Confession of faith in Christ, repentance, and baptism for the remission of sins. But these are works of obedience, not works of merit. They're not things that earn our salvation. Nothing can earn our salvation. But in obedience to God's will, we are still to obey Him and to do these works of obedience. We are to sacrifice the things of the world, offering self as a living sacrifice to God. Jesus says in Matthew 16, verses 24 and 25, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Romans twelve one, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, That you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Stanza three. This one, whenever I lead it at least, I try to sing this quieter to, to get its full meaning. We're paying very close attention to the appearance of Jesus on the cross. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? Through the scriptures, we are able to survey his lifeless body on the cross. Go back to John 19. This time let's read verses 31 through 37. Therefore, because it was the preparation day, that the bodies should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken, and that they might be taken away. Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who was crucified with him, But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. And he who has seen has testified, and his testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, so that you may believe, for these things were done That the scripture should be fulfilled. Not one of his bones shall be broken. And again another scripture says. They shall look on him. Whom they pierced. As we survey. His lifeless body. On the cross. As we look at his head. His hands. His feet. As we see the blood and water. Come out. Sorrow and love. Flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet, uh, the love and sorrow with which he went to the cross, or thorns compose so rich a crown. Jesus' death is an expression of God's love for mankind. John three sixteen: For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. It is because of God's love for us That Jesus went to the cross. That he suffered on the cross in the first place. is because of my sin. And because God loved me. And because Jesus loved me. That he gave himself for me. Stanza four is one that is not often sung because it's actually not in all of the songbooks. So depending on what book you're looking at, your stanza four may be different than this one. But stanza four reads as this. His dying crimson, like a robe, spreads o'er his body on the tree. Then am I dead to all the globe, and all the globe is dead to me. This goes very well with verse three not literally of course but we are to be crucified with Christ Galatians 2 in verse 20 I have been crucified with Christ it is no longer I who live but Christ lives in me and the life which I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me I am crucified with Christ Colossians 3 and verse 5, Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth. When we talk about crucifixion, obviously we are talking about death. The way that Jesus died, he was crucified. Our being crucified with Christ means the death of something. Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth. Sinful practices and behavior, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. These things we are to put to death in being crucified with Christ. 1 John 2, verses 15-17 through Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world, and the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God, abides forever. Why would we treasure anything in the world when we know that the world is going to pass away? The world is going to be destroyed, and the things that are in it the pleasures that are of the world all of these things will be done away with anything that that draws us to the world those things those desires are to be put to death as we are crucified with christ and in contrast we are given life as we put to death these members We are given life in Christ. He lives within us. And we are given life eternally as a reward for our faithfulness. Stanza five. Were the whole realm of nature mine. That were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine. Demands my soul, my life. My all. The world offered as a sacrifice could never be a large enough gift to sacrifice to God. And of course, we know that the world is created by God. He owns the world. Psalm 24, verses 1 and 2. The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the sea's. And established it upon the waters. The world, world belongs to God anyway. But even if we were to sacrifice the world, it would never be a sacrifice big enough to be a, a payback, so to speak, to God for what he has done for us. Because we have nothing else to give, we offer him our souls our lives, our all. Let's close with Romans 6, verses 5 through 14. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law. But under grace, we are again saved by grace, by God's grace. A debt that we can never repay because of its magnitude. Christ died for us. He calls us to die for him, to die to sin, to live with him and in him. Christ offers us life. Through his sacrifice, through his shed blood, through his death, when I survey the wondrous cross, I should bring to mind the the seriousness, the magnitude of his sacrifice, the love of God for us, and it is that message that we share with the world. Thank you for being with me today. I hope to be back with you again, Lord willing, next Tuesday at 11 a.m. as we study another hymn together. But Until we meet again, may God continue to bless you.